Well, good morning, friends. I still remember the first time that Pastor Doug and Jess and the choir and orchestra led us in that song and just how much it ministered to me then, it still ministers to me now, to know that the name and ministry of Jesus is not for altogether perfectly put together folks. It's for those who are in the midst of the battle, who are not yet glorified, who gather together like we are today, speaking the name of Jesus over one another as a family. And this is the hope that we have, that we are not alone. He is with us, and we have the ministry of speaking the name of Jesus in one another's lives. And I was also really edified. I know I'm supposed to be getting into the sermon, but just that Sister Lori Davidson was up here singing. I have not seen her sing like that, and she was sidelined for many months. And just know that in humility, she was watching and praising even when she couldn't sing, and then she was up here singing today. Um, that does a family good to see when people put aside for a little while to heal, can once again praise the Lord, and to have that heart and that attitude. So it is a, it's a good morning, and we're going to continue in that good morning now as we come to the Lord and His Word and submit to it and seek His truth to minister to our minds and our hearts. We are talking this month about the family, faith and family, the gospel on display. And it is a beautiful thing when our families can show to the world what the gospel is, who the God of the gospel is. But I have to note, as we begin this morning, in this first sermon in this series, that the lines of family, of marriage, of children, have been blurred. It's not clear anymore what a family really is. It's not clear what fatherhood and motherhood are. It's not clear what even being a kid is in today's world. There's a lot of difficulty that we face. And this series is not to criticize and to look out in the world and to say, oh, we've got everything right and they've got everything wrong. Right? We, could, we could all today sit in a big circle and talk about the various ways that we see the world not getting things right when it comes to the definitions of family and marriage. I did read something like this from Pastor Burke Parsons, who edits the Table Talk magazine. My family gets that, we read it, but this is what he said. The household or the family of God is a biblical concept, and even the world enjoys the benefits of the household. But as it does with every institution that God has created, the world borrows whatever it likes, rejects whatever it doesn't like, and redefines concepts, including the family, marriage, and gender roles as it sees fit. Those who go along with this program, and here's the thing that we need to emphasize, will only find loneliness, isolation, and despair. Even now, such people boisterously attempt to pretend to be happy while they live lives of quiet desperation. And while that should make us truly sad, it must not make us silent in defending and proclaiming the unchanging truth of God. As we begin this morning, we desire to minister to you in the, the trouble that you face, perhaps in your own family, in your marriage, with your kids, dealing with 
your longings, perhaps, even in your singleness or without children, as you seek to align with God's will in a world that offers you alternatives that never work and that cause that isolation and that loneliness. We want to minister hope to you and the healing of the name of Jesus. So open your Bibles again to Ephesians chapter 2, and let's look at verses 18 to 22, the verses that Pastor Sam read to us. And I want to focus on verse 19 for just a moment. The text there says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I want to give you a little background to why we're starting here. It's not a series in Ephesians per se, although you will hear about three messages this month from Ephesians out of the four that we will preach. Maybe the fourth will as well. But in this sermon today, I want to lay groundwork, especially trying to understand what this term means there in Ephesians 2.19, which says, where Paul notes, we are members of the household of God. We don't yet know all that that means, but by the time we are finished today, I hope that we will have grown to understand it better and know that in the belief that we have, that it can help us to act in our own families to the glory of God. Paul gives some background in this text, which I'll give you briefly before I get to the main points, and it's just this. He's saying that Jesus Christ has done everything that was necessary to break down the dividing walls between every type of person who had divisions within the church. The biggest one, of course, being us and God, and then that other impenetrable wall that divided us from one another. Jesus has done away with all that. There, there should be no distinctions of class. There should be no distinctions of race. There should be no distinctions of family. It doesn't work that way in the church. The distinctions now are, are you in Christ and, and blessed forever or not? And Jesus says that he's brought all of us together. And Paul says a way to think about that is you think about it yourself as a kingdom and as a family and as a temple. Those aren't my three points today. I'm giving you the background to this text because Paul's understanding of these things and the way that he preached sets us up for the messages that will come about marriage and about parenting in the weeks to come. I want us to understand this morning, though, that we have to start with what we believe, for what we believe determines how we act. The reason for all the confusion in our culture about family is because we don't start with God. But if we believe what God says about life in his family we will be formed to live in our families with hope. If we believe what God says about life in his family, we will be formed to live in our families with hope. And that's why the message today is called Formed in the Family of God. Formed in the Family of God. We're going to be talking about, and these are my three points, so you can catch this, our position, our privileges, and our priority in God's family this morning. Our position our privileges, and our priority. Well, let's begin with our position in God's family. Ephesians 2.19 once again says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
There's much news today about immigrants and foreigners crossing the border of our country. Um, Cutting through political arguments, it's not my point to make any on either side today, it's staggering to think of so many homeless people entering the USA with no roots, no money, and danger on every side. When you see those people, as Christians, we should remind ourselves that that's what we used to be like, spiritually speaking. Strangers and aliens, in verse 19, are terms for foreign people who have no family and no country. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, outline this and tell us that we were enemies with God. We we staked our claim in the kingdom of darkness, and we were ruled by Satan. And God, in his great grace, delivered us at the great expense of his son. And this is our hope now, that we are no longer strangers and aliens, homeless and drifting, but we belong. And that's this first position that we have in God's family. We belong. Paul says, Jesus did this. And again, he broke down walls that divided us between God and those of us on earth. And he is the foundation. Jesus is the foundation of a new family. This is the reality. We now make up a new family. Some people have called this a third race. When it concerned Jews and Gentiles, it was no longer about either being a Jew or a Gentile or being a Jew that was a little bit Gentilish or a, a Gentile that was a little bit Jewish. No, it was something else entirely. It was a third race. And in this sermon this morning, we could say that we are a, a new family. It doesn't start with our families where we get the picture of a good family life. It begins with God. So no matter how isolated you might feel today, and imagine some of you might have come to church feeling rather isolated from people in your life, maybe even in your own family. I know that's the case throughout a church this size, that there are those within your closest relationships, humanly speaking, that do not work out week by week, and you may have even come to church this morning feeling broken and isolated and separated from those people. But no matter how isolated you feel this morning from those people, God has made you a part of his family and you now belong to God. That position can't be undone. God will never kick you out of his family. Verse 18 tells us, that the Son, the Spirit, and the Father have all worked together to bring you in and make you belong. Nothing can change that. Look at that verse, 18. For through him, that's Jesus, we both, you could read no matter who you are, have access to God. And it says, we have access in one Spirit to the Father. Now, I need to say that from the outset of this series, in terms of who can be a part of the family of God, there are no boundaries put up for who can come. Anyone can come. No matter who you are or where you come from, the offer of the gospel and the proclamation of God goes far and wide. 
Those of you who are separated from God, those of you who in your human relationships are broken and you have a barrier between you and God, come to Jesus. This is God's call. And if you have, then no matter where you are today, you can have confidence that if you've done that, you've come and now through the new birth, not through continuing a bloodline, you belong to a greater family than you could have ever hoped for. And I want to say something to my friends who are single today, who maybe are childless, right? The call of the Christian family is not to continue it by getting married and by having children. We do not exist like the Old Testament saints once did by carrying on the bloodline. I speak to you a way of encouragement because I want you to know that there is no way to be a part of this family other than by being spiritually reborn. Jesus said, you must be born again. To belong, that's the criteria. There is not a standard here in this church, or if we're honest, across the church of Jesus Christ, to say that those who are married or those who are children are more holy than those who are single and who do not have children. The reality is for you, no matter where you are this morning, single, married, with children, without children, we come as equal recipients of the grace of God, and we likewise come as equal in need of that grace, and no one is more important than the other. If anything, you find right now, here in this place, the community of belonging that you can't find anywhere else. This is God's will. But even greater than that, you're adopted. You're adopted. Ephesians chapter 1, the tail end of verse 4 to 6, it says this, of God the Father, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Wow, so much that we could potentially unpack here. But remember, our main point this morning is to confirm what we believe and then to act on it. Here in this section of scripture, we learn that not only do we belong, but we have been adopted by God. Now, the Apostle Paul is the only New Testament writer to use the term adoption. But he used it in Romans 8, Galatians 4, and here in Ephesians 1. So it rises in importance for what we need to think about in terms of our belonging to God. You see, it would be great if God let us off and, and did not punish us for all of our sins. Right? That alone would be great. You and I would gather in the assembly of God and we would forever be praising him for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And it wouldn't matter if we didn't get to come close. We would be just fine staying on the outskirts of the assembly of heaven, just glad to be there. But wonder of wonders, God has adopted us as his very own children. What does that mean? Well, where justification is a word that means if you come by faith to Christ, you are declared righteous in a courtroom sense. Adoption means 
you have now gone out of the courtroom and you've gone right to the table of the family to meet with them, to love the family and to be loved. This is adoption. It's a rich word. And in that sense, it is even more important, if I could say that and be scandalous for a moment, than justification because it introduces to us this dynamic of closeness within the family of God. Now, in Roman society, in terms of what this means, it would mean that a child would receive, by a legal proclamation, total rights and privileges of the one who has adopted him. Now, it's very interesting because in this time, uh, a very rich nobleman could go out on the street and find a servant or a slave or a beggar and bring that young man in and declare legally, this is my son. I am making him my son this day. And furthermore, when he comes of age, he will receive all of the blessings and benefits and privileges of what it means to be my son. This is, in essence, what the Christian experiences. This is what I've experienced. I myself, as I've told many of you before, am a full beneficiary of adoption. When I was a young boy, I moved in with my grandma and my grandpa when my parents divorced and could not raise me. I was welcomed in and showered with love as a little boy, but I often remember feeling rather insecure in my new household, not knowing where I would be next or if I would stay there full time. My grandparents assured me that I belonged with them, there was that belonging, and that they would take care of me. But in the back of my mind, I often wondered if I truly belonged. I wasn't born in their household, and I didn't even have the same last name. Theirs was Capel, and mine was Keith. Then when I turned 12, my grandparents expressed their desire to adopt me, to make official their commitment to me, and their promises to me of full inclusion and the provision that they could provide. I remember standing in front of Judge Joe Gormley, in the Muskingum County Courthouse, and in a moment's time, by the proclamation of that judge, I was given the name Joe Kappel, with all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities of the Kappel family. But it all began with the love and the purpose of my grandparents to give me that position. Now, you, believer, didn't stand before a judge to get that name change per se, but you did escape judgment for your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ who assured you, you belong, I love you, I've brought you near to my father by my own blood. Further, you did get a name change, Christian. Whatever you were before you came to Christ, you are no longer defined by that, but by the name of Christ. Further in, you now have the position of a son of God. Even ladies, that includes you. This term does not push ladies out, it is the best possible categorical term of adoption. The eldest son would receive it all. And in the gospel of grace, every single one of us, male or female, has the status of the eldest son with full entitlement to receive all of the privileges and the blessings of that position. So now, we who have been brought near to God have been brought into the family of God, and we have the responsibilities that come from that, yes, 
and the privileges that abound in it. And it all began with the love and purpose of God to give you that position. It started in his loving heart. So as my adoption gave me the ground to stand and be confident in my new position, so your adoption as sons should give you confidence in your new position as a believer. So I asked, how can you know that you have been adopted? First, consider the test of family talk. Kind of put that in quotes. All of us have family talk. And if you came to my family and you sat down with us, you'd get most of what we were talking about, but we have inside stories about our family. We have jokes that we tell. We have funny things that come up, goofy, silly things. And after a while, you might feel like, oh, this is, this is a nice family. I hope you would think that. Uh, <laughs> it's a nice family, but I don't really get what they're saying. Right? You probably have the same kind of thing in your own family. Now, the same experience can happen here in the church. You can come into the church, and we have kind of a family talk, too. You know, we have terms like brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. I register, I even used it when I referred to one of our sisters who sang up here this morning. And that's kind of, kind of strange. You know, people who might come, and they don't have the context of the family of God and knowing what that belonging and that adoption is like. They kind of hear that, and they think, hmm, they, they, they like each other. Either they're all related in some weird cult, or I just don't get why they're talking that way. But if you are adopted in the family of God, you get it. There's something, even if you kind of cut through what can be perhaps the southern way of talking at times, you cut through and you see that there is actually family relationship. And I don't know how you feel, but often here in this church, I feel that these relationships are much closer than the relationships that I can often have with my extended family. If you have a sense of that, if you feel that, if that's drawing you in closer to one another, then the family talk could give you an indication of your adoption. But perhaps the best way to gauge this is your own cry of heart. If you cry out to God, Father, Abba, Father. J.I. Packer, one of the most clear-thinking theologians of the 20th century, in his book, Knowing God, once said this, it's oft quoted, he said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. You see, Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16 says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. These are two terms, daddy and pater. Baba, pater. Putting together the holiness of God and the intimacy we share with him as our closest comforter, confidant, our friend, but most importantly, our father. See, if this is the cry of your heart, it bears witness with the spirit himself, who bears witness with our spirit as he fills it up that we are the children of God. So friends, I want to encourage you this morning, right? The, the key to addressing the needs within your own family, begin 
with assurance that you have a position in God's family. You cannot begin to address long-term needs unless you have the confidence that you stand on the solid ground of Christ, his shed blood for you, and inclusion by the Spirit into the family of God. And that's available for you. You can belong. You can be adopted. Well, this is two. These are two of the many privileges of this position. And now I want to give you just two of the actual privileges. And they're kind of the same thing, said in a different way. In the second place, our privilege in God's family begins with access to the Father. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 18, which I repeat many times here this morning, for this point, it has the Trinity in it. Look at it again. For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to not God, although that's who this is, but to the Father. It can be said again and again, perhaps to get into our hearts and minds, that the Christian name for God is Father. The Christian name for God is Father. Now, it's not to push away Jesus Christ. All right, we come to not just an unnamed God, not just one who has been now kind of revealed over the history of man and we can hope to reach out to him. No, Jesus has revealed him to us. He commanded us when we approach him to pray to our Father. Do you think of him this way? As we just discussed, a believer's heart will naturally cry out, Abba, Father, thanks to the aid of the Holy Spirit. This is called access to the Father. Now, what we can think of here is maybe some examples from home life. I'll, I'll try to give at least one, maybe two. Now, I'm grateful that my girls are not so old yet that they've given up coming and sitting on my lap to give me a hug, to get some comfort. Soon they won't do that any long. Makes me sad. Because the little girls that they've always been are fading away into the lovely older girls that they are becoming. But why do they do that? Well, I've given them enough of an indication over the years that I love them and that they can come at any time and sit with me and that they can receive encouragement from me no matter what I'm doing. Over the past several months, I've left up a little note on my office whiteboard at the bottom underneath all my notes where my daughter Isabel wrote, I love you, Dad, Isabel. It means a lot to me. And it encourages me because I know that she feels the liberty to come and kind of invade the space and to do whatever she feels like doing right then because she's my daughter. She has access to come into my presence whenever she wants. Likewise, as our kids get older, I love talking with my son. And there are just a lot of things that kids need as they grow and a lot of decisions that they have to make, a lot of wisdom that they need. And one of the things they need from each of us as moms and dads who are raising this next generation is to give them access so that at any time they can come and share their hearts and to identify with them. Oh, how grateful I am to be learning over my lifetime 
that where I do this even a little bit well, that God is magnified in doing it perfectly. Anytime we want to speak to the Lord our God, we approach him as our father, and we have been given access to him. In Hebrews chapter 4, this is called the throne of grace, that we can approach the throne of grace where the scepter of God is extended to us. In the imagery from the book of Esther, whenever the king would extend his scepter, it meant that it was acceptable for someone to enter his presence. And that scepter is laid down and God says, welcome, come in, tell me all your heart. Right? This is the father that we approach in worship. He is the one to whom we have access. Do you take advantage of that? A question that I have for you is, do you have that heart of 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, that says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God? Do you approach Him in this way? And do you recognize that your privilege is to have complete access to Him at any time, no matter what, because of the blood of Jesus you can approach him and you can lay your heart open before him. This is the grace of our Father. But in league with that is the union that we have with the Son. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 to 12, pick up in an argument that the writer of the Hebrews is developing to encourage really persecuted saints. And what does he do to encourage them? He says, Jesus Christ entered into that suffering with you to fully identify with you, and he is not ashamed to be your brother. How rich this passage. It says in chapter 2, verses 10 and 12 of Hebrews, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, this is speaking about God the Father, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That's Jesus. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Well, the one place I get to be myself is with my family. Perhaps you feel similarly. Perhaps there is no other place where you can throw on your sweats, where you can lounge, where you could take it easy. You could communicate without all pretense or formality and just be yourself. You see, I see in this text in Hebrews 2 a way that Jesus has afforded for us to have that same comfort, knowing that even in our struggles, he identifies with us and does not leave ashamed of us. That doesn't mean to say that we can't bring grief to his heart or that we can't cause shame to him by our actions. But what I see here is we who could not rid ourselves of our sin, Jesus himself was punished for it. But one of the after effects of his suffering and death is that in glory now, 
with his resurrection body, before the presence of God, Jesus identifies with you and with me in our suffering and in our struggling. And he says, I am not ashamed, Father, to call them my brethren. And I will sing a song of praise with them and to them about you. You see, union with the Son involves all of our submission to him and understanding of what he has done for us. But it, in, it also means the enjoyment of knowing that he entered into this world to become like us, not just sort of like us, genuinely like us. One of the things I marveled at recently is that in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that Jesus entered this world and was tempted in every way like we are. How were you tempted this week? What stuff entered your mind? What stuff was hurled at you from the world? Jesus dealt with that. Jesus took that in. All the categories that we deal with, all the stuff that comes our way, Jesus has dealt with it as a direct attack on him. But the the text goes on to say, he has been tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. How marvelous that he gets where we are. But how wonderful that he never submitted to those temptations. That he never sinned. We can be ministered to by one who is like us, yet is perfect. Because the best we can do is commiserate with one another. Yeah, I get it. I deal with that too. Yeah, that stinks. Jesus enters into our lives and says, I know what that's like but there's power in my blood. I know what you're experiencing, but my name delivers from all that. And you're unified with me now. You have union with me. This is your hope now. So how often do we tend to think about that? How often do we tend to think about how our relationships here, which may be suffering, may be broken, Yet, starting with this immense privilege of our union with Jesus Christ. One of the things that Pastor Sam did years ago in marriage counseling that I heard and benefited from, by the way, in 2008, I called Pastor Sam really to ask his permission if I could marry Lauren. Um, He wasn't her dad, but he was her pastor. And uh, I didn't think that he was going to really give me much of a hard time. He didn't know me, but I can remember him saying, what's your intent with Lauren? Do you intend to be faithful to her? I don't want to ever hear about divorce. I don't know if I'm saying all the words exactly, but that's the stuff that I was hearing from him. And I think there was a time here at West Park, back around that time, as there happens so many times. Divorces kind of plague churches and people split up. And I remember at that time already intending to be faithful to Lauren, but feeling the sobriety, the, the, the weightiness of that commitment And it was necessary. Jesus, though, is the one who who keeps us close together. And when we cannot feel close together, one of the things that we can do when we cannot get close together on this horizontal plane, perhaps there's some junk in the middle that just cannot be removed, is by individually growing closer to Jesus Christ. For as you do, what happens? 
you end up coming back together, not on your terms, but on his. And I would urge you, friends, to think about that today. If you can't move closer to one another, you can move closer to Jesus Christ. And that will position you to do everything that he desires you to do. And everything he desires you to do is good and right. Well, there could be many things that I lay on you this morning about our priorities, but I'm only going to share one. Right? The rest of the series will deal with particularities of husbands and wives, of parents and children. But if there's one priority that emerges from Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, it's the priority of reconciliation. Reconciliation. Look at verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says there, for he himself is our peace. It's talking about Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. This is the text that precedes our main verse this morning, dealing with us as members of the household of God, of the family of God. And what is the main message here? Is that Jesus has done everything necessary to reconcile us to God and to one another. Reconcile means that you bring warring parties back together and you put them into a place where they can come to terms of peace. Jesus, it says, is our peace. And what I said a moment ago about when you cannot move closer together, then take the, the next best step, which should have been the first best step, and to draw closer to Jesus Christ. When you see life on his terms, the conflict and struggles that you may feel, which I think this morning, if you were honest in voice, these conflicts might feel as big as Mount Leconte. But Jesus can topple mountains. And he can bring you into a place where you can be reconciled. I read in a book a quote that, or a story that came from Robert Louis Stevenson, uh, author of the 1800s, in his book, The Picturesque Notes of Edinburgh. Um, he tells the story of two unmarried sisters who shared a single room. Perhaps you've heard this story before. I have, but it seemed appropriate. Um, As people who are apt to do, he wrote, who live in close quarters, the sisters had a falling out. And it was on some point of controversial divinity, according to Robert Louis Stevenson, which means that they argued about some aspect of theology. The controversy was so bitter that they never spoke again, ever. There were no words, no words at all, not even spiteful words against one another, just silence. Nevertheless, maybe because they were poor, or maybe because there was some fear of man associated with the Scots, that they would not separate and live in different houses, the sisters decided to stay in the same room, but to draw a chalk line down the middle of the house. 
For years, they coexisted in hateful silence. Each woman's meals, baths, and family visitors were exposed to the other's unfriendly silence. At night, each went to bed listening to the heavy breathing of her enemy. Thus, the two sisters, who were presumably members of the church, daughters of the church, continued the rest of their miserable lives never speaking to one another. Now, I don't know if it's that bad for you this morning. It may be. Maybe that you cohabitate with someone, but it's so bad that the silence is deafening. Whenever you have tension with a family member, the natural reaction is to pull away, to hopefully avoid any further trouble. Yet that is not the godly path. The path of reconciliation bids us to think like this. Because Jesus died for my sins against God, making peace, somehow, with the help of Jesus, I need to move toward my loved one right now to do what I can to make peace. With God's help, I can respond supernaturally to forgive or ask forgiveness. Ask God, friends, to empower you for that supernatural work of reconciliation. Take the first step today, perhaps towards your spouse or your kids or maybe your parents or a brother or sister. In a moment, we'll come to the Lord's Supper after Pastor Doug leads us in a response song. As Pastor Sam leads us in that time of the Lord's Supper, be thinking about your own hearts. Where do you desperately need reconciliation? You know you're a member of the family of God. But where can you take the next step? Communion is an opportunity for us to talk with the Lord and to seek his help. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all you have done to bring us near to our great God and Father. And we thank you for how you have loved us and brought us near to one another in a family. And I pray that our hearts would be drawn to you, that you would work in this time, and that where we can take a step of faith in reconciliation, that you would give us the courage and the power to do that for your great glory, for your good, for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.